We're continuing in the series, The Kingdom of God, or The Kingdom of Heaven. And I'm just going to do a brief recap of what we talked about last week. Last week, we were in Matthew 13, and we were talking about the, the parables, a couple of the parables that Jesus was speaking to the people about. And the disciples, after he had, was, had spoken, they wanted an explanation for at least uh, some of the parables. So in Matthew 13, the mustard seed, the parable of the mustard seed, where Jesus was saying the kingdom of heaven, it starts small. It seems insignificant. Mm -hmm. But when it's mature, it will be a place of refuge. Mm -hmm. It's never to benefit the self, but others. And you think about how the the, the mustard seed was a a very insignificant seed, but it grows into a large tree where birds of the air, say, can come and nest. Now, a bird only nests where it knows it's safe, or it believes to be safe. So that's the kingdom of heaven starts small and in its expansion and as, as it matures it's a place of refuge where people can find should be able to find refuge and it's never to benefit self but to benefit others also in Matthew 13 the other parable where it was the wheat and the tares and I said currently there is mixture, mixture in the venue where the kingdom of heaven is expanding are we talking about the kingdom of heaven in, a, in, a, in its expansion on the earth? Because the earth is the venue, is the field that the wheat was sown and also the enemy sowed the tares. So it's expanding in the earth and at the time of maturity or culmination, there will be a separation. Now the angels, as it said in the parable, Jesus said, are the reapers or the harvesters who will do the separating? And in Ephesians chapter 1, at the maturing of the kingdom, I also refer to at that time of maturation or at the appointed time God has chosen to bring to fruition or culmination of, of his purpose. He himself will gather all things in heaven and earth and make them one in Christ. So the kingdom of heaven being established and expanding on the earth at the end of the age, the angels will be the one, the reapers will be separating the unrighteous from the righteous. So the things on earth, as I said, will have to be separated. And, are, and the things that are incorruptible will be brought together with the things in heaven under the lordship of Jesus the King. And anything that offends or those who practice lawlessness cannot and will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it's also we talked about in Ephesians chapter 1. We talked about the children of the kingdom will be identified by a seal which is the Holy Spirit. Who now is the guarantee of our inheritance in Christ. So as you believe, you are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And that Holy Spirit is the guarantee of your inheritance. You understand? So once you are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise... That is your guarantee of your redemption, of your inheritance, your full redemption and inheritance in Christ. So that when the angels or the reapers are ready to bring together the righteous from the unrighteous, they will be able to tell who they are because they will see that seal or recognize that seal. And with that same seal, that same spirit, because that's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that same spirit also 
cause our bodies, our physical bodies, those who are still alive, to be changed into this heavenly body during our time of full redemption. Okay, so today we're going to talk about the ninth truth, which is the kingdom of God is not divided. The kingdom of God is not divided. And let us go to Matthew chapter 12. And uh, this is very pertinent to the times that we are living here. Matthew chapter 12. And we're going to start at verse 25. And, and, and we're going to cover verse 25 and 26. Let me know when you're there, please. You're there? Yeah. Alright, so let me give you the context of what is going on. Or the scenario. So it says here that, before I start reading verse 25, let me just give you the scenario of what's happening. So you have a, a demon-possessed man... And the spirit and the, the demon that had him possessed had him both blind and dumb. He couldn't see and he couldn't speak. So when Jesus healed him, the man was able to see and he was able to speak. And the multitudes and also the Pharisees were they were perplexed because they were trying to figure out how is this man Jesus doing the things he's doing. And then there was they were saying, well. The only way he is able to do what he's doing is because is because the ruler of the demons is that giving him the authority to drive out demons from other from, from people. And Jesus said something very interesting because by the by the word of knowledge he knew what they were thinking. And let's start at verse twenty five. So Jesus, as it says, knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom Divided against itself is brought to desolation or ruin. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Amen? So every kingdom, Jesus said, divided against itself is brought to ruin, is brought to desolation. And every city or house Divided against itself will not stand. And we know that. If a husband and a wife cannot get along in the house, the house is brought to ruin. The family is brought to ruin. Because there's going to be divorce. And that's how the family is brought to ruin. The same thing with the city. The same thing with anything that's supposed to be won. If there is division, eventually it's going to collapse. If people cannot come together. And that's, the, that's no different to what's going on in this country currently. If we don't get our act together and we keep fighting against each other and keep causing division, eventually you don't have to worry about the enemies without. We ourselves will implode and we, oh, this society, this democracy that we have will come to ruin. And that is the absolute truth. So he says that every kingdom divided against itself is brought to ruin. And a military strategy of divide and conquer. And let me define what divide and conquer means. Divide and conquer means to make a group of people disagree and fight one another so that they will not join together against one. The strategy of the enemy to conquer an opponent is to cause division so that they would not join to come against the enemy. 
So you're so busy, busy fighting against each other and consuming one another. You have no time for the real enemy who is stirring the pot behind the scenes. And that is the strategy of the enemy and I see it very clearly. If you look at, uh, for example, with this, this series is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And I say the, the, the nine truth, the kingdom, the nine truth is that the kingdom of God is not divided. So why are, why, now if you look at the, the body of Christ, if you look at what's going on not only in the US but globally, Anyone outside looking in will say, we want no part of that. Why? Because there, there is schisms, there is division, there are contentions, there are arguments. Brother against brother. Why? Because they're fighting each other. Everybody's in their flesh. When you see people fighting against each other like that, every, people are in their flesh. They're not walking by the Spirit. Because if you're walking by the Spirit, if you're walking in the love of God, there will be no contention. But even if there is, you will reconcile because the whole purpose of the body, the whole purpose why Jesus says that we are to be one, is that we will, even though we have our differences, we will come together knowing that our differences minor compared to the whole. That we have to maintain unity in the body. Unity in the kingdom of God. There is no division in God. There's the Father, there's the Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. There are three, but they are one. There is no separation in what their, their ultimate plan and goal is. They are one. But each serving a different function to bring about the ultimate plan of God the Father. And so it is with the body of Christ. But why are there, there are so many doctrinal differences? There are so many uh, arguments and, and, and contentions. If you look at the political climate, you have, you have Christians against Christians. Why is that? Because everybody wants their own way. Nobody wants to give ground. Nobody wants to, to give ground. Everybody wants their own way. But people, we need to understand that Christ and what the will of God is supersedes what we want. Because every, everything that we see, this system, all of it is going to go away. And what would be left, as I said previously about the mysteries of the kingdom, anything that's pure, anything that's right, that is what's going to be saved. Everything, is, is going, everything else is going to be tossed away. So when you spend your time arguing, getting upset, having contention with one another because of what, whatever your political view, whatever your stand is, whatever, and whatever it is, you are wasting time. You are causing more schisms and division. Understand that we have a difference of opinion, but understand also that the purposes of God supersedes what our own ultimate desire is. Why? Because the purposes of God is eternal. And what we are fighting over is not eternal. It's temporal. So we have to understand and have the right perspective. Because when Jesus came, Jesus didn't get caught up in the political climate. Why? Because he said, that he, that's not why he was here. He told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. Because he knew Pilate would be here one day and Pilate is going to be gone. His kingdom is eternal. Whatever, what's here is going to go away. 
And what happened to the Roman Empire? It's not. It's no longer an empire. So understand. We have to really understand that we cannot allow the enemy to divide us. So there are powers behind manipulating, causing distractions and increasing division. When you get into schisms and fights, you're being distracted. And you're being distracted by your own lust and desires because what you want to see happen is not happening. So you, you fight and you want to see what you, have, what you want come to pass. But what about what God wants? What about what God desires? Those are the things we need to focus on. What does the Word of God say? What does the Spirit of God require of us in the times that we are living in? We can't allow our biases, our prejudices, a.k.a. our fleshly desires to take our focus on the things which are not eternal. Because this system is all going to go away. We can't allow ourselves to be caught up in the corruption. Don't allow your, your peace to be taken, stolen from you. You are allowing your peace to be stolen. When you get in contentions and, and divisions and, and fighting. We have to recognize who or what the true enemy is. And do our best to encourage and maintain unity in the body. Alright, so let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to cover from verses 1 through 6. It says here, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, beg you, to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So he's speaking to the, the, the saints in Ephesus, writing this letter. He said, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. I see one body. I see one Spirit. I see one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. I don't see separate anything there. So it says in humility, lowliness and gentleness. In humility. You know what humility is? Humility is doing things God's way and not your way. Do you understand? That's humility. Put up with one another in love. That is not easy. But when you have disagreements with people, you put up with them. You put up with it. Not being arrogant, impatient, always trying to control people's lives. Why do we get in arguments? Because one person has a different opinion than you, than we do. And we get in an argument because we want them to think the way we do. Or to do what we require them to do. And they fight against us because they don't want, they want us to leave them alone and not have them, us impose our will on them. So there is fighting and contention. So we have to stop trying to fix people's lives. And concentrate on fixing our own lives. And let out the witness 
of our lifestyle. Let it bear witness of the, of the fruit. Let that fruit of our lifestyle bear witness of the wisdom of God. And when people see that, that your fruit, the fruit that you bear in your life, when they see it, then they can take correction from you. Then they can take, you know, they can receive what you have to say. The more we try to fix people's lives, and the more, that's the more and more they move away from us. We try to give counsel, but the, but the Lord is enough. Do you understand? When we, there, you know, there are times when people try to give us advice and we, we push against it. People try to, to tell us what to do, we push against it. But I understand that the Lord will deal with everyone, every one of us. Because the Bible says, do not dis- if, you're, if you're a child of God, if you're a son, expect chastening. Because it's the father who's going to, it's the father who's going to do the chastening. So leave people to themselves. And let the father chasten them. Because we are not their, we are not their father. The heavenly father is the, he is the one who's going to chasten them. Yes, I understand. We want the best for people. We want people to do things the right way. But sometimes you just have to leave people to themselves and let the Lord chasten. Let him deal with them. He is their father. The Bible says, if you can convince somebody, if you can cause them to change their mind, that's a good thing. But then, at a point, you have to let people go. Amen. So, after what we read there in Ephesians, there is only one. There is only one, one. One kingdom of God. One body. One spirit. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. It doesn't mean that we don't have disagreements, but it means... It means that we are, we come to a point where we can, we can, we can agree to disagree, have a difference of opinion, but knowing that the ultimate, what, what really matters is what, what the Lord wants, what benefits the whole. So we put aside our differences because we know what to, what to benefit the whole matters more than what our individual desires and needs are and wants are. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 through 13. Alright, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let's start reading at verse 10. Okay, it says here, it's again, this is it's Paul again. Now I plead with you, brethren. He's begging again. He's pleading by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you, now, I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He's saying, no, Christ is not divided. What happened? We get so caught up and enamored with certain things that we start taking sides. And we start taking a hard position. And Paul is saying, no. What you're doing is wrong. He say, listen, I didn't die for you. Apollos didn't die for you. Who died for you? Christ died for you. He's the one. 
His, he, you take the mandate from Him. You obey Him. You follow Him. You seek Him. And He talks about what He, he talks about here. He said, brethren, I'm begging you that you all speak the same thing. That there be no divisions among you. And But what's critical here? But He said here, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. What does that mean? He said, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ. What mind is this? The willing, be willing to die. Be willing to surrender to the word of God and the spirit of God. That's the same mind. Putting the needs of others before your own needs. You don't take such a hard stance. And you know it's going to cause division. You know it's going to cause separation. You know it's going to cause people to get upset. He say, have the same mind. Why? That, that's the mind of Christ. Because you have to think of the needs of others before your own needs. So he's pleading with the saints. Don't take such a hard stand siding with, with people. He said, listen, Christ, Christ is the all in all. He's our focus. And we have to have that same mind. We have to be willing to die to ourselves and surrender to the things of God. He said, because the arguments and divisions were causing some to go back to the ways of the world. And he said it here. He said, it's causing some of people to go back to the, to the, to the ways of the world. So he, we have to guard against that. We cannot be responsible for causing other people to stumble. Because we are so, we want to be right. So we have to guard against such things. Our allegiance must be to Christ. Which means that our allegiance must also be to one another. Because we are one in Him. Do you hear that? Even our allegiance must be to Christ. But we are also one in Him. So our allegiance also has to be to each other. Do you understand? So we can't be fighting against each other. We have to put the needs of others before our own. We are to conduct ourselves in a way that reflects our oneness. I don't mean pretend oneness. I mean, yes, we can have the, the different differences of opinion. But the oneness comes at our willingness to die, to surrender. That's where, it, it, that's where the, tr the truth of the oneness comes. We must submit, surrender to the word of Christ, no matter how we feel. And that is not easy. But if you understand the love of God, if you understand what it, the love of God is, it's not too hard. It's not hard to yield. It's not hard to yield. In in Second Corinthians five sixteen, you don't have to turn there. It says we are to regard no one to no one, no one according to the flesh, but after to the spirit, because it says we we knew Christ after the flesh, but we no longer know Him after the flesh. No, we know Him after the spirit, and it's the same thing with people. You cannot be fooled by people's appearance. You know people by this, by the spirit. You know people by their track record. You know people by what they do over time. So we ought to know one another after the spirit, not after the flesh. Because people will deceive you. You have to trust the Holy Spirit to give you the understanding. To give you the, 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 the discernment of what's going on in people's hearts. Right? 
So understand that we cannot be just moved by what, what, we, what people say and, and, and what people only say and do. We represent Christ and the kingdom of God. We are to reconcile others to God, but we are also to reconcile each, be reconciled to each other. That's how we, we maintain oneness. And we have to conduct ourselves in a way that honors our king and the kingdom of God. What type of witness are we when we are having arguments and contentions which cause division? It's one thing to have arguments and contentions and, and work it out. It shows that you are mature enough to die. Because when you're willing to work something out, it shows that you're mature enough to die. Because you're not thinking about your needs, you're thinking about what benefits the whole. But when you take such a hard stand and you're not willing to surrender and give ground, it shows of our, our stubbornness and, our, and, 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 and how much our own flesh is ingrained, how much we obey the flesh more than we obey the spirit. What type of witness are we? Why would anyone want to be of some, a part of anything, something like that, when people are fighting against each other? I wouldn't want to be part of something like that. So the ministry of reconciliation, we have all been given that ministry. And I say, as I said, it's not only to bring the lost to Christ, but we also have to reconcile, be reconciled one to another if there are disagreements. We must do our best to encourage and maintain unity. And I say not at any cost, because there are some times when things are just not right. But we have to do our best to encourage and maintain unity. We walk, must walk by faith and be willing to be a living sacrifice. Being a living sacrifice, as it says in Romans, it's about dying. Dying, doing things God's way and not our way. And sometimes it's hard because you're so, you believe so much in, in something. But you have to think of what is it going to do to your relationship to your brother in Christ. Because when we come before God, whatever it is, is that's not going to be an excuse to Christ. That's an unacceptable excuse as to why there is why there was division and animosity between you and, and your brethren. We must be willing to die, give up our right to be right, so that there'll be unity. One more scripture: Colossians chapter three, verses twelve through thirteen. Let's turn to Colossians chapter three. Okay, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you so you also must do. Hear that? So if there are schisms, he said forgive. Put up with each other. Forgive. If anyone has a complaint against another, he said forgive. Let it go. Forgive. Because he said Christ has also forgiven us of our transgressions against the Father. We have to learn to forgive. That's why it says put the needs of others. When you don't forgive somebody, it's not only the person that you're not releasing. You yourself becomes held in bondage. 
because of unforgiveness. So he says we must have the courage to work out our differences. Forgive one another to keep and promote oneness. We must think about the welfare of others, their souls and how we affect their walk in Christ. We are not our own, but bought with the precious blood of Christ. We have to surrender to Him. One body and spirit, our body and our spirit belongs to God. We are to surrender to Him because our body and our spirit belong to God. We must be joyful and wear the garment of praise, doing things without murmuring and complaining, and be hospitable and giving and doing things, doing it gladly. And sharing what we have and being a blessing to others. That's how you promote oneness. That's how you express the love of God. Because we are representatives of the kingdom of God. And our witness matters. I don't care what, what, what you might think. Your witness, what you say and what you do matters. What kind of fruit is evident in our lives? What are people seeing? What are people hearing coming out of our mouths? Are we gossiping? Are we tearing down people? You know, do we encourage oneness or do we promote division? The kingdom of God is not divided. The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, they are not divided. There is one God, one faith, one baptism, one Lord. One Father of all. There is no division in the kingdom of God. God will not tolerate it. He would not put up with it. So we, as citizens of the kingdom, we have to have the same mind that was in, that is in Christ. Willing to put the needs of others before our own. Willing to die to our own fleshly desires. So that the, we, who are one in Christ, not only is our allegiance to Christ, but our allegiance is one another. Why? Because we are the body of Christ. So today, let us purpose in our heart to promote oneness in the kingdom. Oneness in the body of Christ. For truly, we have to walk by faith and not by sight. That's the only way oneness and this unity happens as we walk by faith. What is that? Dying to self. And doing what sometimes doesn't feel, doesn't feel right. Doing it because your flesh is fighting against it. But your spirit and the word of God says this is what you need to do. Walking by faith takes courage. Walking by faith takes tenacity. Walking by faith takes endurance. Walking by faith takes a conviction that you know who you are. And you know that your father is capable of keeping you by his power as we walk by faith through his son Jesus Christ. So let us purpose in our heart today to do all that we can to promote unity in the body. In Jesus' name.